Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, would you please, and open them to 1 Samuel chapter 9, 1 Samuel chapter 9, in part 3 of our series, Into Faith We Go, and the Bible study is entitled, Faithfully Faithful in Every Moment. Faithfully Faithful in Every Moment. Because as we begin to talk about faith and stepping out in faith, we oftentimes associate that with some big decision, some big leap, some huge event. And because you haven't seen a big step or a huge event in your life recently, or you don't see anything in the near future, you may choose to just to check out on this series and go, well, you know, that's not for me. However, we've learned through our study in Hebrews that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone that comes to God must first believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So faith is more than just a leap of faith, a step of faith. It's more than just some huge event in our lives. Faith is required every moment of every day. And God is calling us to learn to be faithfully faithful in every moment. And so here we go, starting off in this series, Into Faith We Go. It's an exciting time. We're anticipating what God might do, what he'll reveal to us, all that he wants to do, he, how he wants to use our life for his glory, for his fame. And I know there is among us. If I ask for hands to be raised, everyone would raise their hand because among us today is this longing to see our life matter. There's this longing and desire to see substance in our life, that need to be in a place where we know our lives matter, where we see that we're making a difference, and we see the eternal significance of the decisions that we make. And for those of us that have a testimony where we got saved later in life, we begin to look at how God's using us today, how we're involved today, and we can't help but be overwhelmed by the grace of God, of where he brought us from, to know where he's taking us to. The grace of God is so motivating, so encouraging, and it deepens our faith. And yet, with that desire, there's still this question. I mean, life is filled with questions, but when we talk about faith and wanting to know what God's will is and how do I hear from him, how am I led by him, there's this lingering question that says, how does God lead his people? How exactly does God lead his people? And almost... Inevitably, you will be faced with some formula. Well, this is how God leads his people. And someone will tell you this, and someone will tell you this. And then as you try to apply it in your life, you're like, the formula doesn't work for me. And some people actually walk out of church, they turn their back on God, and you'll hear them say something like this, Christianity didn't work for me. No, no, whatever you experienced wasn't true Christianity. Because Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross it absolutely works for you right at that beginning. And so whatever you experienced, it really wasn't a real relationship with God. To walk away and say, it doesn't work for me. No, God is faithful. And what he begins in a person, he completes. He, the Bible speaks of God perfecting that which concerns us. And so when it comes to the question, these are good questions to ask. You know, how does God lead his people? What should I look for? 
How, how should I listen? How do I know it's from God? I had a young man come up yesterday after service. He said it perfectly. He's wrestling with this burden on his heart. He wants to be a missionary. He's got a place. He's got a location. But he told me this. He came to ask this. He said, but Pastor Ed, I don't know if this is God's voice in my head or my voice. And that's a great question. And so what did I do? I led him down a simple path just to sort a little bit out for him. And I said, well, what you want to do is serve God. Yes. And, and you want to leave everything that you know, comfort and ease to go to another country and help other people in Jesus' name. Yes. And I started with a few questions like that. And I told him, I said, look, that did not come from the devil. That is not the devil telling you to leave your comfort and ease and go help people in Jesus' name. And as we're sorting out the details, we're putting them on a path so you can test this calling and step out in faith to see what God might do. Now, as we're walking in faith ourselves, it's good to ask these questions. And today I want to give you a few answers that will help you sort out hearing the voice of God. Because God does lead and God does speak. And so many times we find ourselves in the place of David. If you want to jot it down in Psalm 31, in the first few verses, listen to what David says and tell me if it doesn't resonate with your heart at times. David said in Psalm 31, in you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me and deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress or a defense to save me. And notice the last thing he says, he says, for you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. God, my life is yours. I've got so many things going on. Deliver me, help me. You're my rock, you're my defense. I don't understand this. It's out of control. Lead me and guide me. Now, in answering this question, some people would answer this question and say, well, in order to hear the voice of God, some people say, I need to get away. I need to be like a monk or a nun and get away, live in a monastery, have absolute silence, have nobody around me, then I can hear the voice of God. Now let me say, getting away for private times, having personal time with God, getting away where you're out of all the distractions is commendable, it's glorious, and it's good. But that's not the normal way that God speaks to his people. It's not really an accurate picture of the Bible and God speaking to us. At other times, there are those that would say, well, in order to hear the voice of God, you need to just, uh, just flip through the Bible. Just get the Bible out because we know God speaks to us through the Bible. And if you really need a question answered, just flip through the Bible and then pick a verse. That's what I just did. Oh, like this one. Bring charges against your mother. Bring charges. For she is not my wife, for I am her husband. Let her put away the harlotry from her sight. <laughs> Hey, God absolutely 100% speaks to us through his word, but not in some random flipping of scriptures. And you, you have the, you know, like, like you remember growing up the magic eight ball and you have a question and you shake it and there it is. Well, the Bible is not like that. It is the very word of God and he uses it in our lives to lead us and guide us. You know, hey, other times people will say, this is how I hear the voice of God. I, 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 it has to be supernatural and exciting and it has to be very emotional. 
You know, it's funny, over the years, in a simple setting like this of Bible study, where the Bible is being taught through the gift of pastor-teacher and it's being received by us, I'll have folks that visit. They'll come here one time, they'll head out, and then they'll send me an email. I don't know, that church, your church is just dead. There's no movement of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's not there. And I, and I started, like, what are you talking about? Well, all you did was teach the Bible. Oh, so you expected us to run around and jump and scream and yell and, and have the lights flicker. And that, that's the, and, and there's that sense that God can only speak through experience and God can only speak through the emotion. God can only speak through some hyper expressive way. Well, let me say that on occasion, God will do some major supernatural thing in our lives, but that's not the normal way he speaks. The normal way he speaks is not necessarily by a cloud or by a fire or by a burning bush. We do see those on occasion, but God often leads. This is very important to grasp. I know it's by way of repetition, but you need to hear it again. God will so often lead us supernaturally in very natural, normal ways through, through just daily life, the daily living of our life. He will so often lead us supernaturally in very natural and normal ways. That, that's why we miss it so often, because we have some other expectation of the voice of God when all the while he's leading and guiding us in our natural, normal, everyday lives. So we have these pictures and these thoughts of how God really speaks to his people. But more often than not, God leads and speaks to his people while they're in the process of their daily, normal routines of life. You could say it this way. God is the God of the mundane. Now, I know we don't use that word very often, but mundane speaks of normal and ordinary. It, mundane means lacking excitement, even dull and routine which can speak to much of our lives every day. We live very ordinary lives. We have the routine of life. We have the ups and downs of life. Some of you even look at the position that you're in, the job that you're in, and you wonder, what is so exciting about this? And what is so supernatural about this? And you could say that it is even mundane. But see, that's something that we all share. We all have the ordinary of our lives. The problem, of course, is, is that our eyes are always somewhere else, and we, we want someone else's life. We think, oh, if I just had their life, there's no ordinary to that. I want this, and I like this, and I wish I had his car, I wish I had his house, I wish I had his family, I wish I had all of those things, when in reality, most people have very ordinary lives. And because it's ordinary, and our expectations were somewhere else, we're discouraged. And when we're discouraged, we're not in a place of receiving from the Lord. And that's really often the case. You know, you, had, you sit here today and maybe this is exactly what you've been thinking. You think, you know, here I am at this age and at this stage of my life and I thought it would be different. And you think it would be different in a negative way because in your expectations, you had a much higher view. You had a broader view. You know, you had dreams and aspirations and great desires and here you are at this age and at this stage and you're just simply discontented and dissatisfied with the will of God for your life. Which brings us to this section in 1 Samuel chapter 9 because God doesn't want you to be discouraged in this stage and this age of your life. 
because he is the ever-present God. And today in 1 Samuel chapter 9, we learn how God uses the ordinary, and I would even say less than ordinary things of life, to encourage us and to speak to us. Up to this time in Israel's history, God has been speaking to them through a group of men and one woman called Judges. There's actually a book in the Bible called Judges, and you can read how Judges are, were God's gift to the nation to help them recover from their sinful ways and their rebellious ways. They were the mouthpiece, the leaders of the country to help them navigate through life. You have the judges and the priests. But there came a point in time in the life of the nation of Israel where they looked around at the nations around them, they saw they didn't have what they had, and they declared and demanded a king. They wanted a king. All the other nations have kings and we're tired of the judges and we're tired of Samuel, we're tired of this. We want a king too. God hears their cry and chooses to give them that king. They don't know who he is yet. And even as we're reading, if we were reading in chapter eight, we don't know who he is yet. But in chapter nine, you begin to see the will of God revealed. After Samuel's rejected, after his sons are rejected, after God gives them their request for a king, we find the beginning of that king being raised up and God is working behind the scenes through the very ordinary mundane activity of Saul's life to connect him with Samuel to anoint him as the next king. So pick up with me in verse one. We have some insight on how God uses our lives to speak to us. It says in verse one, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. Now that phrase literally means he was a very rich man, very successful. And it's his son that's going to be raised up. Notice verse 2. He had a son whose name was Saul, a choice and handsome young man. There was not a more handsome person than, all, than him among all the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Let's just pause there for a second. Have you ever heard the phrase that someone is head and shoulders above the rest? It comes from the scriptures. That's a biblical phrase. And it points us back to, to Saul. He stood out. He stood out from his appearance. He was head and shoulders above the rest. Notice verse 3. So this rich family, very successful, is a kid raised, a man raised up, He's, in a, he's a son of a rich family, lives in, a, in wealth. Notice verse 3. The donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Please take one of the servants with you, arise and go, and look for the donkeys. So we passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Sha'alim, and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. Verse 5. When they had come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with them, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. And he said to him, Look now, there's in this city a man, and he's an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass. Let's go there. Perhaps he can show us the way we should go. And then Saul said to his servant, But look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone, and there's no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? So as you're reading the text, we have a man who lost his donkeys. 
And he calls his son to him and he says, look, son, I need you to go look for my donkeys. So let's just say this together, church. The, the man lost his donkeys. He sent his son to look for his donkeys. When's the last time you went looking for donkeys? Anybody? Uh, there might be one. Oh, Ed, I was looking for donkeys. Yes, probably not. I don't even know where to look for donkeys. Do we go out to walk-ins, make a left, maybe head out and donkeys wander all the way to Lyman? I don't know. I haven't ever in my life looked for donkeys. And we don't have another occasion in the life of Saul when he goes looking for donkeys. It's just this day. And his dad, many servants, a lot of resources, he asks his son to do it. And in the text, we learn that his son chooses to obey his dad. Might I just say, before we get into the points today, that the beginning of hearing, the place of hearing the voice of God is a place of obedience. A place of obedience. It puts you and me in a better position to hear the leading of God. And you can understand that if you're in a place of rebellion today, you're in a place of resistance, you've got hidden things in your heart that nobody knows about but you, you've been ignoring the conviction of sin, you are grieving the Holy Spirit, like you're all a mess as a believer, it's going to be super hard for you to hear the voice of God. Because the voice of God continually to you is the conviction of sin. So much so that you don't want to hear the conviction of sin anymore. And instead of just dealing with the issue in a biblical righteous way, you stuff it, you press it, and then your life becomes frustrating. Your life becomes weak and anemic. Relationships start to break. It just isn't what God intended. The place to receive the leading and guiding of the Lord is a place of obedience. You have a son. What a great picture. A son obeying his dad. A son obeying his dad. I try to picture myself in different stages of my kids. If I called him into my room and Marie and I are in the front room, we just go, okay, look, guys, our donkeys are lost. I need you to go find your donkeys. I can think that on a bad day, they'd be copping an attitude, throwing a fit, flailing their arms. Oh, I'll go look for the donkeys. Why don't you go look for the donkeys? They're not my donkeys. Is it just my kids or you guys understand kids? Like my kids don't even want to, if I ask them to do the dishes, they give me attitude. Look for donkeys? What's the point? Dad, you got all these servants. But we don't read of that. What we read of in this early stage of Saul's life is that he's obedient to his dad. And it puts him on a path of anointing. It puts him on the pathway of a major, mighty, complete change for the rest of his life. According to verse 3, his dad loses his donkeys and asks Saul to go find them. And the whole scene... Because behind the scenes of the donkeys being lost, you know how sometimes you just don't understand why something's happening in your life. You just don't understand it. You look at it and you go, I don't get this. I don't like this. You often ask the question, why? Why this sickness? Why now? Why this problem? Why this difficulty? Why? And you have no idea how God is using it and going to use it working it together for good. You don't have no, any idea. Saul, as he's going for donkeys, you know, he doesn't ask the question, but you have to ask, I mean, why me? I'm your son. Why do you want me to look for donkeys? And certainly his dad had a reason, but he never told him. It's not recorded. And many times the circumstances in our lives, as painful and as hard as they are, God allowing them or God sending them doesn't always give us a reason or an answer. 
but they're still used by him. Because as soon as Saul takes the first step to go look for donkeys, it's going to end by him meeting Samuel and being anointed the next king of Israel. God is leading a man through the mundane task of obeying his dad. An out of the blue command, leaving what he was doing to look for some donkeys. So some may say, well, Ed, now I know the way to hear the voice of God. I should just go look for donkeys. And you were going to have lunch today, but now you're heading to the zoo to look for donkeys. Because that's it. Get on the road. But see, that's our sense of wanting to formulize everything. We want to make a formula of everything. But this isn't a formula, falling God. There's not a formula. Because God works with us individually. And instead, we have a pattern to follow. Not a formula. And the pattern is to learn to be faithful. You can jot it down in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. As Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, he says this statement in the New King James. He says, it is required in stewards that they must be found faithful. That's the requirement. A steward, someone that's given responsibility over someone else's stuff. What's required in a steward, they should be found faithful. In the New Living Translation, it puts it this way. I like how they put it. It says, now a person who's put in charge as a manager must be faithful. You must be faithful. There's no other option. You've been entrusted with something. What's required is you be found faithful. And for Saul, out of this faithfulness comes a great calling of God. And it's not uncommon, church. It's not uncommon. Many times when God wants to redirect a person's life, when God wants to affirm a person's life, when God wants to lay before them a direction, he wants to speak to them, when he's ready to reveal new direction in life, it's often through the ordinary. Let me give you a few examples. Think of Moses. When God's calling upon Moses came, how did it come? Now I want you to pause here because most people jump right to the burning bush. It's like, that's how it is. God spoke to him in a burning bush, and he did. So some of you have been waiting forever for God to speak to you in a burning bush. You actually got a bush in your backyard and you peek out every, is it burning yet, honey? Nope, it's not burning. And some of you are so impatient you took a big lighter out there and you let it on fire and said, speak to me, Lord, speak to me. I know that's ridiculous, but think of it. We think, well, if God's not gonna, I've never had a burning bush speak to me, so then maybe God doesn't speak to me. But do you know that something preceded the burning bush? Where was Moses when God spoke to him? Listen to what the Bible says, Exodus chapter three, verse one, listen. Moses was tending the flock of Jericho, of, excuse me, flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. That's where he was. What was he doing when God spoke to him? He was doing what he needed to do. He was tending the flock. How about Gideon? Gideon was one of the judges that I mentioned. Where was Gideon when God spoke to him? What was he doing? Well, the Bible says that he was threshing wheat in the wine press, Judges chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. He, he was doing the ordinary. He was taking wheat and he was beating it so that the wheat and the chaff could be separated. And even one step further, where was he doing this? In a wine press. He was doing it in a wine press because he was afraid and hiding from the Midianites. Because when you, when you would thresh wheat and beat it, you would throw it up in the air on a high hill and the wind would separate it. But he's hiding in a wine press. And God spoke to him because he even found in his fear and anxiety to do the right thing and be obedient. I think of David. 
Where was David? What was he doing when God began to lead and speak to him? He was just a kid taking care of his father's flocks and obeying his dad, taking supplies to his brothers. Remember, he took those supplies, took food to his brothers, check in on his brothers, and he overheard Goliath, and the rest of his life was changed as God welled up faith in him to stand before Goliath as a little ruddy kid when nobody else would. How about the disciples? How did God, what were they doing when, God, when Jesus called them to follow him? Well, you know, some of them were fishing, others were collecting taxes, and doing whatever job was required of them at the time. And when you read the Bible, you find some of the greatest work done through people as they were just doing their daily work. God met them right in the place to transform their lives as they were faithful in the moment. And if there's anything that we can learn as a church family, as we grow in our trust and faith in God, that is to be faithfully faithful with what's before us. That's what's required from us. It's not building up this emotion to take a big leap of faith, but rather, I wanna hear the voice of God. Well, are you faithful? And are you in a place of obedience? So if you're taking notes, let's look at a few things here in the text that are very important for us to draw out, learning to be faithful. How does God speak to us today? Number one, most often he speaks to us as we're daily doing what we need to do. As we are daily doing what we need to do. One of my most favorite passages in the Bible when I find myself in the routine of my life because my life is very routine as well. I mean, I spend a lot of time answering emails. I spend a lot of time on the phone. I spend a lot of time reading. It is not the supernatural, exciting life that some people might think. I have a daily routine in my life and I have mundane tasks that need to be taken care of day in, day out, day in, day out. And now that the kids aren't around, I've got to do the dishes on top of that. The dishes. Praise God for a dishwasher. But even with a dishwasher, I don't like doing the dishes. I wish I could yell and tell somebody to do them. Hey, the dishes are dirty. But now that just echoes and that's all I hear. I do the dishes. It's a normal life. I live a normal life just like you. And yet in the normal faithfulness, God speaks and he leads and he confirms. And most often God speaks to us as we are daily doing what we're supposed to do. And the Abraham's servant, this passage has encouraged me so many times because Abraham's servant was sent to go find a bride for his, his son. And he comes back after finding the bride. It all takes place. And in Genesis 24, verse 27, he says this. He actually says it twice. He says it later on too. He says, as for me, being on the way, the Lord led me. So some of you are like, no, I'm gonna sit here and wait for the will of God. No, you need to be on the way, being faithful to do what's before you and listen because while you're on the way, the Lord leads you. You might've heard it said this way. You know, it's a lot easier to steer a moving car than one that's parked. And it's true. It's so much easier to hear the word of God, to hear the will of God for your life when you're obediently moving forward in him. Secondly, secondly, God often leads us not only in the doing it, but of doing it diligently, diligently. You know how the Bible says that whatever you do in word or deed, do it all unto the Lord. Do it all to him. 
You know, whatever you do, you don't do it for your spouse. You don't do it for your boss. You don't do it for the government. You don't do it for the church. You don't do it for the pastor. Whatever you do in word or deed, you do it diligently unto the Lord. You're doing it for him and to him and from him. And that's what we see here in chapter 9. In verses 4 and 5, we see diligence in King Saul. Or at least he's not king here, but in Saul. And I want to show you the diligence, because reading through the scriptures, we miss stuff at times. But I want to come back, and I want you to notice in verse 4 with me. We're going, to read, we're going to just highlight things here. I want you to see diligence. It says, so he passed through the mountains, through the land, through the land. He passed through the land. And then verse 5, he went and came to the land. Like this was not just one off. It wasn't like Saul's dad saying, Kish saying, Saul, go find my donkeys. And he walks like, you know, to the end of the driveway. Oh, I don't know where are the donkeys. I don't know. And then they come back home. Oh, I can't find them. <laughs> no, man, he is diligently, boom. He's going this land, this land. You know, in my mind, just trying to conceive it. Like, like hey, I, I looked in Aurora. They, I passed through Aurora. They weren't there. I passed through Denver. They weren't there. I passed through Lakewood. They weren't there. Centennial. I went over to Golden Man. I went to Grand Junction looking for those donkeys. And I can't find them. We know this took a long time for two things in the text. Number one, notice Saul began to worry about his dad in verse five. He says, hey, we better go back because dad might worry about us more than he's worrying about the donkeys. And we know it took time because by the time we come to verse seven, when they're looking to go to the man of God, they say, what are we gonna bring them? We don't have any more supplies. So they've exhausted all the food, everything that they took. We know this took time. I didn't look at it on a map, but maybe I should have to look and see exactly what the geography was of all the areas that they passed. But this was no small thing. This wasn't like five minutes just to appease his dad. He went looking for those donkeys faithfully. And one of the reasons why is not just obedience. One of the reasons I can see why he was so diligent was as an example to the guy he took with him. The guy that he was with him, he recognized you see, Saul had some really good characteristics in him. I know that you Bible students realize that he didn't become a very good man or a very good leader, but that's not how he started. And that's always been a discouragement for me as a pastor, always, still is to this moment. I watch guys, I watch women, I watch families. I see them launch off into the things of God, so good and so glorious. It's just so, it makes me so happy to see God grab a heart, grab, grab a dad, grab a mom's heart, and they're just loving God, transformation, see a guy get sober, see a gal forsake her ways. Like It is so amazingly great. They start out so well with such great potential. And then over time, just a few events, a few decisions, they crash and burn so hard. And it's always discouraging because people are always hurt. Kids are hurt, grandkids are hurt, great-grandkids are hurt, the church is hurt, the name of Jesus Christ goes through the mud again, there's more hypocrisy, more difficulty. It's discouraging. Saul starts out so well. What happened to the obedient kid? Or, and he's not a kid here, he's a young man. What happened to the obedient man to his dad? You see, at this stage in his life, he's faithful. And, and as they're looking for animals, as they're looking for donkeys of all things, there's no mention in the text of them being frustrated, complaining, murmuring. Because that's a position, you know, it's, it's difficult to hear the word of God when you're complaining all the time. 
It's difficult to sense the leading of God when you're a murmurer. It's really, really hard when to hear God and to follow his leading when, when you're so jealous of someone else and you just want what they have. And, and while you're so jealous, you can't hear. While you're complaining, while you're upset, I don't like this. I don't like this job. I don't like this marriage. I don't like the way my kids are turned out. I don't like, I don't like, I don't like. And it puts you in a place where you don't hear from the voice, you don't hear the voice of God any longer. We've got it all backwards. Remember Jesus taught us? Jesus taught us. He, he taught us very clearly, very simply on top of that. When he said, when you guys pray, I want you to pray this way. And he says, I want you to pray. He didn't say repeat the words exactly. He says, this is the motto. I want you to pray this way. And one of the things he taught us, he said, when you come to the Father, I want you to come this way. I want this to be your heart. I want this to be your mind. When you're stepping out in faith and you're living, I want this to be your heart. You, you memorize this, I'm sure. You, you cry out to God, thy kingdom come. Say it with me if you know it. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But do you know what disappointment does? Disappointment flips that on its edge. And we begin to demand from God to fix the problem that we perceive. It didn't happen the way I wanted, so God fix it. And so instead of asking for God's will on earth, what do we say? And we don't use these words, so don't listen for them. Very rarely do I ever hear this in a prayer, even in my own prayers, but I understand it. Instead of asking for God's will to be done on earth, you're commanding God to do your will in heaven. You want your will to be done. You want God to change and adapt to your situation when God all the while has used this situation to get your attention. It's not your will in heaven. It's God's will on earth as it is in heaven. It's always going to be that way. And it just adds to more frustration when you choose to take this approach. And I think it's kind of like the consumer thing in our culture and, you know, just have it your way. The customer is always right. Hey, man, anybody that works in retail, anyone that owns a business, you know that's not true. The customer is not always right. Anybody want to amen that? Or are you guys like, now, and then you're like, but I'm the customer and I don't like that. You know, it's like, Whatever. We just get so many things get fed to us in our culture that we just totally believe and they're not biblical. You're not always right. I'm not always right. And I want to place myself in a position to hear from the Lord. One of the great tests in our spiritual life is when God allows our agendas, our plans, our goals to be challenged with the mundaneness of everyday life. Paying the bills and shopping and whatever we got to do. What will you do and how you will, will you respond? Saul, with great potential, responded for care and concern for his dad. Caring for his dad even in the midst of a very frustrating situation. Just like Moses. Moses in Numbers chapter 12, verse 6, 7 and 8, he's, he's described, check this out, Moses is described in the Bible by God as this, and I quote, he is faithful in all my house. What a great pattern. Like, he, what about Moses, God? Tell me about Moses. He is faithful in all my house. And there's the benefit of faithfulness, he says. I speak to him face to face. Faithfulness brings greater intimacy with God. Unfaithfulness breaks intimacy. When you can't trust someone, you can't get close to someone. It's just the way it is. And that's how unfaithfulness works in our lives. Not only, number three now, not only did Saul do what he was told, the daily work, 
Not only did he do it, number two, diligently, but thirdly, he did it spiritually. He did it spiritually. He recognized the spiritual part of looking for his dad's donkeys. He recognized that in everything we do, there is spiritual value to it. Instead of being overwhelmed by the situation, Saul asked for God's help in all this. And that's an impressive thing to follow. He looks for God in the midst of the difficulty and says, I think we need a man of God. I heard about a man of God. He could tell us where to find him. And he starts looking for this man of God. And let me, if you're taking notes, write this down. I'm gonna repeat it twice because it just so ministers to my heart. And I wanna lay it before you. Listen, learning how to do the simplest of things spiritually is an essential ingredient for your spiritual maturity. Let me repeat that. Learning how to do the simplest things spiritually is an essential ingredient to your spiritual maturity. Like when someone can keep their cool when everything's going all over the place and they can just keep going in him and realizing the spiritual aspect of their life, man, a person like that grows up very fast and matures very quickly. I think of all the mundaneness in this room today. I know you don't want to be reminded of this, but I'm going to remind you because you probably have forgotten. But tomorrow is Monday. Did you know that? Tomorrow's Monday. Most of you are going back to work tomorrow. Just want to let you know. Yep, you're going back to that desk. You're going back to that steering wheel. You're going back to whatever it is. You get to go back to work. For me, Monday is my day off. Just wanted to let you know that. And then I had a few people yell, it's my day off too. Well, we're not asking. It's my day off. My day off. Most people don't have Monday off. But see, as you anticipate going back to work, and some of you are not looking forward to it, you're not looking forward to doing what you're supposed to do daily. You're not looking forward to doing what you're supposed to do daily diligently. And it could be perhaps because you've forgotten what you're about to do at work tomorrow is spiritual in nature. That everything and everywhere God has you is to intersect you with other people for the sake of the gospel. And, and I think not only just work. I think of the moms that stay home all day. I think especially of you younger moms that are changing diaper after diaper after diaper after diaper after diaper. And you're like, when is this kid going to stop? And you're just like, what is the value of changing diaper? Let me just say, thank you for changing diapers. It's value. It's a value to us. So thank you very much. It's a value to your kid. They don't have to walk around with that stuff in their diaper all the time. Thank you. But you know, you can get through doing the same thing over and over again and wonder, what's the point? What's the point? What's the point? Oh, by the way, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but they finally invented the coolest thing for you moms and dads with kids and diapers. It's a little Bluetooth thing that you stick on the diaper and it sends you a notification when your kid drops a load. I'm serious. I'm serious. You don't believe me. Check this out. I looked it up. Listen, listen how it describes it. This is so cool. I, I lost it. Let me find it here. So here, here it is. Uh, this company created a cookie-sized sensor with Bluetooth that attaches to the outside of a baby's diaper. The sensor can detect whether there's pee or poo in the diaper and alert parents and caregivers. No more need for the diaper sniff test. <laughs> Imagine that. Your kid's in the nursery right now and there's a little thing on their bottom and it sends you a notification, dirty diaper, and you're like, let them change it. But what the value of raising the next generation can be lost in dirty diapers. 
and difficulties. You just wonder, I'm, all I do is fix cars all day. What's the significance? Man, you're fixing those cars under the Lord. And those people depend upon you. And you and I, we need to learn how to do what's before us diligently, spiritually. You guys, over and over again, you're passing through, passing through, passing through. Like the song we sing, you know, you pass through the mountains, you pass through the valleys, you pass through the mountains. That's just life. The ups and downs of life, the twists and turns of life, daily, patiently going to work, delivering, filing, answering phones, fixing that clutch, developing that software, you know, making sure that you take care of this and you have that, like all the things that God has us doing, choosing to do them diligently and dependently and spiritually will put you in a better position to hear the voice of the Lord to be led by him. And you know, when we think of faithful, you have to remember, flip that word around and think a person that's faithful is also a person that's full of faith. And you're depositing these elements of faith. You think God's just gonna give it to you all at once. But rather, he's preparing you through the process. Little here and a little there and a little here and a little there where you don't know. You know, by, the, by here in First Samuel 9, Saul has no idea that his life is going to flip upside down in a couple days. All he knows is he's looking for donkeys. That's all he knows. That's all that's before him. And he has no idea that his desire in looking for donkeys and how looking for this man of God, that that man of God is actually Samuel and that Samuel's going to anoint him as the next king of Israel. And like Saul, you have no idea what two days bring or three days. You have no idea you have no idea what God is doing behind the scenes. I know it's frustrating at times, but it is the way it is. We don't know what God is doing. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. What we would do well to do is to be diligent, spiritually doing what's in front of us. Listening carefully for the leading of God. So often when someone is doing what is right before them, they end up coming to a place of what we like to call this divine appointments. And God just leads us to the place we need. We're entirely unaware of it, but God just shows up. And you may have found in your life a frustration or a question of why God has placed you over something that's seemingly so insignificant. A small thing. And you're looking for donkeys and you're filing papers, and you're fixing a clutch, and you're changing a diaper, and you're cleaning a car, and you're answering a phone, or taking care of a customer, you name it. And so often we can be tempted with feeling like what we're doing is such a waste. It's not a waste in the Lord. If you do it diligently, and you do it spiritually, one day you'll find out that God had a purpose in it all that what you're doing is rewarded by faith. One day God's gonna reveal his overall purposes for our lives and he's gonna answer in his presence all the why questions that we've carried and we filed away. When you and I can learn that the issue in life isn't what we see that what we're doing seems so fruitless, that's not the issue. The issue is learning to do it diligently no matter how we value it. Because when you and I can just live faithfully daily one day you will see the end. You'll see it. It'll make sense. 
I like to tell people that I know that a lot of things don't make sense today and a lot of things are painful today. But when you are in the presence of God and he reveals to you the overarching work of him in your life, I want to assure you 100% on the authority of the Bible that when God reveals the plan that you lived while you were on earth and you're in his presence, you and I will agree with him 100%. You will say, it's probably something like this, oh, that's why. And then we begin to praise God and glory and bow down before him, casting our crowns of rewards at his feet, enjoying his presence. Listen, as we head out, God is not wrong. And God is not foolish. And God is not ignorant. He knows exactly what he's doing in your life. So choose to do what's before you. Choose to do it diligently. Choose to do it spiritually. And you will find you are more sensitive to the leading and the guiding and the voice of God in ways that you've never, ever seen before. Leading you to what? More faithfulness, right? Because to whom much is given, much is required. To the faithful, more is given. To the faithless, what little you have is taken away, Jesus taught us. And given to who? The faithful one. How does he get more? Well, from the unfaithful. And as, as we launch into a new year and we have this whole new season in our life and this whole new opportunity, let us pay attention to faithfulness. As we go into faith, as into faith we go, let it be into faithfulness that we go, trusting God, doing what's before us. Amen? So Father, thank you for the privilege of your word today. I just have been so encouraged by this section. I mean, what difference does it make looking for donkeys, God? What difference does it make? Like we have to have an explanation for everything instead of just doing what you ask us to do. So would you forgive us? Would you forgive me? Because I know at times I demand an explanation. I know I was wrestling even during one of the songs with things on my heart. Just, I mean, I'm not demanding, but I'm certainly questioning, questioning and just wondering. And it's just a waste of time. And I, I ask you to forgive me, God, because I truly want to be, diligently do what's before me. And I truly want to trust you with all my questions and all of my anxieties and all my fears and all the dumb things that take my mind. Because you said, and I remember now you said, that you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So we just work that in us today, that our minds could stay on you, that, that each day that comes you'll find faithfulness, that we will do no matter what if we have to pass through, pass through, pass through, pass through before we ever see what you're doing. Just give us strength to do that, God. And let us leave here encouraged and built up in you. That we know you're not wrong and we know you're not foolish and we know you're not ignorant. You are doing your perfect will, accomplishing it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.